0: Four uh, things to review for you. Six movies. Let me hop right into this. The first one I'm reviewing is Attack Force Z. Uh, this is a Australian war movie based on a true story with Mel Gibson and Sam Neill. So uh, that uh, garnered some interest um, for me. I had not heard of it. This is Umbrella's first United States release. Uh, I don't think they released anything else. This is a region-free release. Uh, yeah, let me get into this. Uh, this is based on a true story. This uh, secret uh, group of uh, commandos uh, directly... Uh, uh, listening to Winston Churchill, I believe, or who was it? Somebody like that. I can't remember. I'm a terrible reviewer, but regardless, they're supposed to go on this mission in, uh, you know, the Japanese area and take care of some bad guys. And, uh, their goal is to not be spotted. They're supposed to rescue this, uh, guy whose plane went down. They're supposed to rescue who's ever inside of it. Nobody knows exactly who's inside of it, except Mel Gibson's character is running this operation. This is cool because, um, it has a, a there's good decent performances by these guys that you would go on to be huge stars uh it doesn't really uh pack much of emotional uh you know core until the end of the movie when you actually kind of care just a little bit but you never care enough it is a little bit goofy and over the top in a lot of the action but it's played fairly straight and uh it feels realistic for the most part they uh end up bumping into this chinese guy and his daughter and they help him and they convince this village to fight back against the uh you know Japanese Empire uh, what's cool they have this uh, like I said this one guy knows a lot of karate moves so he's throwing knives and at a point one of the Japanese commanders finds this body he's like these are American uh, or they're not American but these are Australian whatever he says but he says and Chinese throwing knives and you're like that sounds so ridiculous to me like this guy would be running around in World War II throwing knives at guys and taking them out but it happens in it and it's played straight and maybe I'm just ignorant but it's uh, yeah, it's kind of cool there's some decent action. There's a lot of people getting shot in here. Uh, it, it's well made. It's just it doesn't pack the emotional core that it should. It's not horrible. It's it's fairly entertaining, and it's a man-on-a-mission movie, which I enjoy. Um, and, and I like how the idea that this is a true story that I had not heard about, and it's a smorgasbord of people. They can be from uh, Australia, America, Britain, and they're all on the same team. The movie doesn't uh, take any prisoners right off the beginning, you know, it means business, uh, right from the start, somebody gets killed that you don't really expect. And, uh, it moves on from there. It has some pr- pretty dramatic death scenes to be honest at the end. Although, like I said, it doesn't set up the characters to be super likable, but they are fairly realistic all in all. By the end of the movie, you see some decent action. You You care a little bit the score I think is really weak. And that's what I think. If you would have put a powerful score in this movie, I think that it would push it a long way. Um, all in all, it's solid. Uh, it looks all right uh, in the, in the daylight shots. It looks amazing. At night, it looks a little iffy. My guess is the budget here did that. But as far as the Blu-ray is concerned, that's what I noticed. That's what I tend to notice about a lot of these things. The night shots look a little, you know, grainy or just not particularly great compared to the day shots. But those look spectacular. Um, Sounded pretty good as well. The featurette on here, which has interviews with uh, none of the big players, Sam Neill and Mel Gibson, uh, I guess couldn't be bothered to do an interview on here. But I think the producer and two of the actors in here talk about it. And uh, they mentioned that Mel Gibson, they knew he was going to be a star, but remind you, you cannot watch the bonus disc on, I could not watch it on my uh, regular Blu-ray player. I had to put it in my region free, not bonus disc, but the uh, featurette. For some reason, it seems that the feature may be locked to featurette, but not the actual feature itself, which I don't know what's going on with that, but that's what it seems to be. But that is Attack Force Z. It's a fairly decent uh, man on a mission war movie.
1: Hidden on a small Pacific island is a man with a secret. A secret men will kill for. A secret that could end the Second World War. And a highly trained attack force is sent to get him back, or die trying. You can handle them all right, can't you? No worries. You can handle them with both hands. So begins the war's most terrifying true mission now we're after a man who was on that plane i am looking for american survivors from the aero bay what questions did the japanese ask a handful of men face the might of the japanese army on a mission that can only succeed with men prepared to die It's a mission that will affect the lives of hundreds of innocent people. And it will change the lives of some forever. You know what your father said about poor not changing anything? He's wrong. He changes everything. I will not tell you that we are your friends. But I will tell you that the war has come to this island. That you must choose a side. Attack Force Z. In the jungle, a thousand men may die. And a handful can become a legend. Attack Force Z is the story of that legend. Starring John Philip Law. Mel Gibson, Sam Neill, Ku Chuan Siong, and introducing the beautiful Sylvia Chang, Attack Force Z.
0: The next one here is JD's Revenge from Arrow Video. I had not seen JD's Revenge. I had heard about it here and there. You know, a uh, uh, horror black exploitation movie kind of interested me. This one is wild, guys. Uh, this is a strange plot. Back in the, I believe, 40s, this, uh, you know two-bit, small crook gangster gets double-crossed and pinned for murder and murdered himself. Uh, This uh, you know kind of upstanding young kid who's working a job and uh, going to school to be a doctor or a nurse, I can't remember, a doctor, he ends up getting his soul taken over by uh, J.D., who is the uh, murdered gangster. Uh, J.D. uh, wants to go on a revenge uh, kick using this guy's body. Uh, Lou Gossett Jr., uh, it's a great performance by Lou Gossett, and in a lot of these movies, I typically used to see Lou Gossett kind of as like, A reserve guy, you know, Punisher and those who's kind of just there. Toy Soldiers. He's not bad. He's just there. This one, he is great. He uh, plays this... um this uh, over the top preacher, you know, like uh, not I don't want to say street preacher, but you know those ones that get really into it and uh, he's like a fighting preacher, he's boxing and stuff uh, and his congregation's totally into it. He uh, actually was involved with JD's death in the past and uh, he's kind of turned a cheek and his brother is running uh, the organization he's kind of a bad guy. Of course the, what we have here is a good psychological deal with uh, the lead guy going back and forth between JD and himself trying to get his life together trying to make it not fall to pieces. He's a abusive and there's a real some real awful sexually gratuitous stuff in here like a rape and uh, a scene where he beats the crap and probably kills this old lady who's in his cab and uh, the lead in here uh Thurman I believe his name George Thurman uh, something I can't think off the top of my head he does such a good job doing this dual role and at first JD when he's playing JD you think it's over the top but it, it's kind of scary at the same time. Uh, love seeing Lou Gossett in here. Bob Miner, of course, pops up in here. You can't have a movie made, an uh, exploitation movie made in the 70s without Bob Miner popping in and doing some stunts or just being a bit part. Uh, like I said, the flashbacks work well. They're really cool. And, and uh, although they do seem like they didn't have enough footage that they do, they incorporated a lot in here and that you keep using it and using it by the time the end uh, rolls around it, you're used to it. And I think it works well with the movie. Uh, I like that it takes place in new Orleans. It's supposedly one of the most haunted places in the world. And it works really well with this plot. Although the ending, the ending of this movie, it's like, I don't want to spoil it, but you're like, Hmm, you know, I think that some people would be a little bit more troubled than that. But, That's just what I I see there. Uh, I enjoy the movie. The the director, Arthur Marks, uh, he had done some other exploitation movies as well, Detroit 9000 and uh, three or four other ones. Uh, Bucktown, I believe, with uh, Fred Williamson. So yeah, it seems like he was really good at this stuff. This is an Arkoff, uh, Sam Arkoff movie, uh, AIP. So you know what you're getting into. They're they're vastly entertaining. They push the envelope a lot of times, and they're enter- like they're entertaining and they push the envelope. You get kind of the best of both worlds. Uh, on here, there's a nice little featurette with the writer, uh, the director, uh, I think the editor and uh, the lead actor in here. It's all cut together. It's really good stuff. Uh, it's it's made for this release. They're all candid about it, and they seem to enjoy the movie and they seem to have fond memories about it. Um, yeah, it's a nice release. It looks good. It sounds good, and it's a black exploitation movie. I hadn't seen that. Uh, uh, pushes the limits and uh, has some pretty crazy stuff, and they're uh, really well acted and uh, all around recommended.
2: there's an easygoing guy with a good-looking woman, but something awful's gonna happen. There's big trouble coming. It's JD's revenge. Don't nobody talk to me like that. The reincarnation of a killer who came back from the dead to possess a man's soul, make love to his woman, and get the vengeance he craves. my baby sister there, you just be a Betty Joe. they There was a real mean killing, and the wrong guy died. They buried his body, but his soul survived. Jonas killed Betty Joe! There is something wrong with Ike. tonight he kept saying he
3: was this J.D. Walker. J.D. Walker's been dead for over 30 years. <laughs>
2: Next. 40 years later, on someone else's face, you can see J.D. Walker's hatred. Time just won't erase J.D.'s Revenge. I'll my revenge. Rated R.
0: The next one here is Between Night and Dawn. This is the new Arrow box set. Uh, three early George Romero movies. His uh, second, third, and fourth feature. Uh, there's always Vanilla, uh, Season of the Witch, a.k.a. Uh, Jack's Wife, and The Crazies. Uh, I had seen two of these movies. I never saw... Uh, Jack's Wife, or uh, AKA, it's, There's Always Vanilla. No, uh, I have only never seen, There's Only Vanilla. I had seen Jack's Wife, AKA Season of the Witch, but I had never seen, uh, There's Always Vanilla. I put these in, I started with The Crazies. I had seen The Crazies a few times. It was one of, uh, actually, one I always really enjoyed. I thought it was kind of an underrated movie. Putting it in this time, it, it struck home much more. I, I love the hell out of it. Better than ever. Uh, being older, you, you understand more of this, and you see a lot of these uh, flares in George Romero that I absolutely adore. He's my favorite director. You see his mistrust in science, his mistrust in government, his, his mistrust in, you know, uh, outskirts on the people just doing really dumb things. It's, it's everything. Uh, the craziest basically follows the story of this plane goes down and it's carrying some weird kind of virus that leaks into this small town's water population. And the government comes in. They, they don't seem worried about it first, but then afterwards they realize there's big trouble. This uh, virus, uh, they come in and they quarantine the town. This virus either makes you go, uh, go aggressive And then die or kind of makes you loopy. And just lose your mind and die. So it's just this strange virus. It's a bug. And the film follows these two firemen that decide to try to get away. Along with uh, the one guy's pregnant uh, wife. And some other survivors, including Lynn Lowry and Richard Liberty from Day of the Dead. So there's some familiar faces in here. They're basically running around the countryside while the uh, generals and the scientists are trying to figure out what's going on. Richard Francis in here from Dawn of the Dead. And uh, the, that's the eye eyepatch uh, doctor. He's in here as a scientist trying to figure a cure out, and his voice is brilliant. He does a great performance, and he's one of these all-around likable characters. The colonel in the movie is completely flabbergasted at the situation, and he does a tremendous job, too. He doesn't come across dislikable, although he is doing a despicable thing when he has to. It just shows you, it, it paints this picture of how stupid everybody is in all these loopholes and red tape that, not loopholes, but red tape you have to cut through to get things done. And this this red tape pretty much makes things worse and worse and worse. It's bitterly ironic. It's it's mean it's spirited as hell, to be honest. Uh, just the things, the way they unfold. And it has a lot of violence in here. It has a lot of shootouts. It has a lot of crazy things in here and, and a lot of horror elements, especially this old lady who's lost her mind knitting. She stabs one of the guys in the quarantine suits and she sits back down and starts knitting and somebody else walks in. She's completely fine. I, I love the small little details of showing how these people are just off or showing how they're crazy. And when they start to kind of turn, it, it, it's, it's a lot of brilliant performances in here. The lead in here, the main guy, the kind of heroic guy in the movie, for some reason he uh, comes across as you know a, a masculine guy, a heroic guy, but not not an idiot and not just a yeah we're gonna do things my way he comes across as a realistic and likable character they do a really great job with that uh the the score in here the main song in the movie is tremendous it always gets stuck in your head it's one of those seventy songs that's just really sad it fits with the movie it makes it horrifically sad uh it's just a movie that you see uh you know like Romero putting a lot of stuff that he would use later on with the scientist and uh and Day of the Dead and whatnot, I, I really enjoy the hell out of it. I probably, I want to really go just watch the thing again. Uh, I haven't seen a movie like that. It has a, it's a great emotional impact at the end. It's like I said, it's one of those deals that feels like uh, moments of Dawn of the Dead and there are moments of uh, Night of Living Dead. It's just, it's, it's very Romero and it's, you know. I don't want to say that the other two aren't as Romero. They are Romero, but they're not quite as Romero as this. There's a commentary on here, uh, which is nice, and there's some interviews and stuff. This this whole box set is loaded with interviews with uh, all the, the remaining survivors and some old ported stuff over from the old releases of Season of Witch, and there's always Vanilla. But The Crazies is a highly recommended one. My favorite of the box set, also the last one made, You'll recognize tons of, of faces in here, from Bill Heinzman to Vince, who shoots the guy, uh, who shoots uh, Doug, uh, Ben Jones, uh, Dwayne Jones, at the end of Night of Living Dead. He also pops up in Flesh Heater and does the same thing. Come on, Vince, stop shooting people. Uh, the next one was Season of the Witch, aka Hungry's Wife, aka Jack's Wife. Had a lot of titles, and this is a very strange movie. I saw it years ago. It is is fairly slow, but it's an interesting movie. It's probably the most Not the best, but the most interesting of the bunch. Um, It follows the story of this lady who's going through kind of like I I don't want to say midlife crisis, but she feels you know out of place and displaced. It's it's a big feminist movie. She feels trapped in you know where she's at in life with her husband, completely ignored, completely used and completely useless at the same time so she starts to kind of dabble into this uh witchcraft she becomes interested in it and there are some supernatural elements but you necessarily don't really believe them that they're supernatural but they could be just a little bit she starts to have this affair with this guy uh, one of her daughter's friends and the, that's pretty much the whole movie and there's a really depressing ending that uh again kind of like Night of the Living Dead. Uh, there's a commentary on this disc as well by the same guy and uh, they seem to like Romero quite a bit and they go into the movie, into the depth uh, about all the feminist stuff and the opening stuff is very surreal and you can just see it in there almost immediately, the stuff that she sees, uh, you know, feeling like a dog and whatnot, way ahead of its time. George Romero was always ahead of his time, you know, uh, by being in, in the crazy distrust and the in uh you know, the government officials and, and science and small town stuff. It's just uh the red tape, it's just complete crap like that. The crazy was also remade, I forgot to mention. And season of the witch way ahead of its time in this and uh, this kind of feminist movie without hitting you over the head with it. It's just I, I like how he does things. It's always so matter of fact, it's not it, it doesn't stop and say, Yes, this is an important message. It's just there and it's just right and it just it gets the message through so much better without hitting you over the damn head with it. And maybe it is hitting you over the damn head with it, but whatever he does it feels good and he does it does it right uh, no matter what what you believe in and what messages he puts in his movies they just feel right i, get, I think he always gets his message through and and crazies and Season of which they both come through the last one there's uh, there's always vanilla aka the affair this is the one i hadn't seen it stars uh the guy from uh, one of the the guys uh, the woman has affair with uh is the lead in this one and this one is uh kind of this strange uh Season of the Witch being kind of like an art film and uh, The Crazies being a big kind of like psychological, you know, uh, scare, horror movie thing. Chemical scare thing. This one, uh, it feels kind of like romantic drama comedy, but it has these sometimes moments of like art in it as well it's kind of a patched together movie. Romero himself isn't a fan of it. You realize from the commentary and the interview with him from the old release, he's not a big fan of it. There's a lot of falling outs with this movie. A lot of his Night of Living Dead crew and his friends kind of had a falling out after this one. So that, that's kind of depressing to hear. Most of them rekindle the friendship, but in this one, you can see there's some problems. Uh, a lot of the movies uh, about a guy, he's kind of a drifter. He's not a necessarily a likable guy. He is charismatic and uh, he just doesn't really want to conform. It's about a a guy who doesn't want to conform. He has this girlfriend that he has a kid possibly with. He starts a relationship with with a new uh, woman, uh, Judy from Night of the Living Dead. And you just you can't really feel too bad for him. The most, the the thing I like most about this movie is the relationship with his father. I think that they, they do that nice generation gap in here very well. And I think the dialogue between them is realistic and there, there's some really cool moments between his father and it, it almost comes across comical. The, his mother and father, these is kind of weird characters. Uh, it's just, it's just a strange movie. I, I think it's decent. I I was never bored watching it. It's competently made and uh, I, I like it. It's just, it's, it's probably the weakest of romero's early films out of especially out of this this group of movies i liked it as much as season of the witch it's just not as interesting or uh challenging movie as season of the witch so i i like i said it has its moments it has a lot of familiar faces in it and uh i like how it's just something so simple but it actually feels like more than that. It feels a little bit deeper than, you know, something so typical. I think it's a, a fairly solid movie. I, like I said, it's well-made. It has some cool moments in it. And uh, the lead character, he seems realistic, although unlikable. Uh, like I said, this thing has a bunch of features in here. Uh, my favorite feature on the release was probably of Romero and uh, Del Toro. The directors sit down and they talk for an hour. And Del Toro dives into his movies and starts dissecting them. And Romero and him just go back and forth about movies. And uh, Romero talks about other directors. They talk about other directors. I think they mentioned a, hop, a Hooper and the Craven and Carpenter. And he's like, "Well, you even." And uh, Del Toro says, "You even spawned the original, you know, the two genres: the zombie genre and the Italian zombie genre." And Romero says, "No, that." was fulci fulci and it's just that whole thing cracked me up that uh i'm just happy romero knows who fulci is but uh yeah i just uh that that was really beautiful to see that these two filmmakers bond and connect on camera it was uh something magical i'll say and it was i'm glad it's documented i'm glad i got to see it uh great release uh i'm super happy these are released now only we could get a great united states release of dawn of the dead that would be amazing that would be a great christmas for everybody and martin those are two both uh, great movies, and Martin's probably his most underrated, although it's been getting a lot of love lately, so I'm going to have to go with The Crazies being his most underrated, or maybe even Land of the Dead. But anyways, I'm a huge Romero fan. I love Romero's movies, and I wouldn't say you wrong. This is a great set. Uh, now, I know a lot of people are like, I don't want There's Always Vanilla. I just want The Crazies, but Season of the Witch is interesting, and There's Always Vanilla is worth watching for sure. Didn't hate it, liked it. Uh, the Crazies is a hell of a release. It comes with a nice book. Just, this is a great release. Arrow did an amazing job with it.
1: Heaven help us. Firelight, won't you let me be? I feel so helpless.
4: How can I find the
0: morning? You can't talk to me like that. You just can't pick a girl up off the street and tell her her father's a bag of hot air and that she has a fat ass.
2: I want an apology. Romero handles the um, nudity in the scene quite candidly, as he did in pretty much all of his 70s films. We shot the film over... Months and months, we, we would pick up the cameras and go and shoot a little bit and then shoot a little bit whenever we had time between jobs.
1: People can see what the location looked like in the movie versus how it looks now in present day. Sometimes things change, sometimes they don't. This, is, this whole thing, I'm worried about what's happening to me. A dark-haired woman.
2: I think that in many ways, Season of the Witch is clearly the sister film to Martin. Did you have any feelings when you first saw it that it was about race? So they asked me to go home and to learn a couple of scenes and come back.
1: You'll see this in the movie at the beginning as Jan White is sort of led on a leash through various
0: places.
4: Sir. Is that clear?
1: One warning shot. I love the
2: housewife sweeping the field and kind of like surrealist uh, touch there and you know once again it's like the old lady with the knitting needle and the yarn. And so he wrote, directed, acted, edited, uh, produced, you know he did everything for this movie. It's an independent film, is much more loving much more supportive, much more family-oriented, much more magical. I spent probably $75,000 redoing a whole campaign. New trailers, new one-sheets, uh, new stills, everything. How
3: can
4: I find Crazy.
1: something out there that we haven't
2: got the power to define.
0: Next one, I don't really have a release for. It, it was sent to me by uh, Sean Donahue. Uh, this is directed by Tim Ritter and Scott Tepperman. This is I Dared You, Truth or Dare Part 5. It's been a while since I watched a Tim Ritter movie. You know, I'm a fan of Tim Ritter's, especially, you know, he did a lot of low-budget movies like the Truth or Dare series, one, two, three, four, and, uh, you know, Killing Spree, Dirty Cop, No Donut, Creep, tons of stuff. Often works with Joel Dean and there's no difference here. Uh, th- he teamed up with the Scott Tepperman guy and Jim O'Rear who made, like, the hospital movies, Hospital 1 and 2, and some other stuff. Don't Look in the Base too. So it's kind of an odd combination. It feels like those guys mixed with like the Florida crew where uh, Sean Donahue is at. A lot of those familiar faces like Bob Glazer pops up in here. If you guys aren't familiar with the Truth or Dare movies, I, w- I would recommend checking out, especially the first three. It's been, I don't really recall the fourth one, but I remember there being like an internet sensation of people daring online and that. And that picks up where this one's left off. Uh, this guy, Dax, uh, D- Ch- Dax, Chainsaw Dax or something like that. He um, wants to get back at Dan Hass. Dan Hass is a recurring character in the series that uh, screwed up and, and uh, let Mark Strober, the serial killer from the original movie, go. And Dax wants to get back at this guy. He's big on the internet. He does a lot of dares, a lot of crazy things and he wants to get back at Dan Hess, and he basically turns him into this horrible game uh, where he forces them to do all these crazy things. Jolie Winekoop is amazing in the movie, as always. Um, there are some budgetary constraints that are really rough. Sometimes the camera goes in and out of focus. There'll be a lot of hissing during dialogue, and it will stop abruptly when they're not talking and come right back when they're talking. So that kind of stuff is a little distracting, and uh, I will admit that the first half of the movie didn't catch my interest. It was, it was with the Dax character, and it was very hard to care because I wanted to see more of the Dan Hess character. I wanted to see that continuation of the story. They do tie into the Dax character into the original Truth or Dare. This is strange because they go back and they do this psychological thing where you realize that this Dax character had something wrong with his wrong with him even at a young age. He, and and the, they do this this flashback where he pulls the Truth or Dare tape off of the shelf and they're like, "Put that back! You're not supposed to have that." But then he's in the Truth or Dare universe. That 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 doesn't make much sense to me. But that's just one of those things you're going to have to let slide. Kind of like et being in episode one yet in et uh elliot plays with star wars figures doesn't make any sense and that that kind of thing happens in here so that's that's what's going on at that point uh i like i said with joel d's on the screen it's great and i enjoyed some of the cameos in here like bob glazer scenes amazing uh there's nudity in here there's the typical tim redder uh you know spousal cheating and uh not letting go when someone breaks up with you. That stuff is, is throughout Tim Ritter's movies. It's been there forever. But like I said, the climax of this movie, like a lot of the Truth or Dare movies, you know, the climaxes are always really fun. Um, and this one, it doesn't uh, you know, cheat you out of that. Like I said, the budgetary constraints are there and they are uh, distracting. And the first part of the movie, I really wasn't interested. I couldn't get hooked. I was kind of bored until they they bring it to this other storyline and they start using Dan Hess as a puppet. That's when the movie gets interesting. That's when the movie gets fun. That's when the actors and actresses start having fun in it and doing. I think not necessarily a better job. Some like the, the side. Some of the side actors and, and actresses aren't great. Some are some are good, but uh, Joel D. Weinkoop stands out in this one. And he gets a chance to go completely ballistic. There's a. I don't want to spoil anything in here, but he's forced to play truth or dare himself. And I like the idea that this whole thing's an internet sensation that people are daring each other to do these things online. That's interesting. There's always something interesting about the truth or dare movies. Uh, You know, the second and third one, especially the third one. They add in. I, I believe it's the third one they add in that. You know, these serial killers are becoming more popular than the actual people that were the victims and they're being glorified. And I like how he adds that in there. And uh, it's amazing to me that these truth or dare movies continue and continue. And they, they, kind of go together they actually bring things back it's like the low budget saw that they keep bringing these people back and back into the movies i don't want to compare it to saw because this made before saw the original but you know what i mean it's amazing how they keep bringing characters in and how they tie back in with the originals and how they they go together and they have themes that go together i think that's really cool uh this is probably i don't remember four particularly it's not this one's not as good as the first three I did enjoy the ending, like I said. There's some uh, there's some blood and gore in here, and uh, some of the dialogue is painful. And there's moments of comedy that I don't think fit. They're kind of weird and almost out of place. And like I said, these complaints, uh, you know, they do weigh a little bit on the movie. But uh, if you check out the trailer, or if you like Tim Ritter's other movies, or if you like the you know the uh, hospital and stuff like that, or you like um. Uh, the Florida film movies than the Florida low-budget movies, you know, like the box stuff, you'll enjoy this one. I, and I think if you do watch it, if you do purchase it, if you do get a chance to check it out, make sure you make it till the ending because there's some really fun stuff in there. And that is I Dare it you Truth or Dare 5. This is getting released, I believe, by G- uh, Gator Blade Films. All the information will be below in the description box. be doing is um what is it we'll do the q a so remember always on the screaming toilet page when you go to enter the con- competition or contest or whatever you want to call it you can uh ask a question i will answer it in the next show we have a bunch of questions this time uh because i thanks again uh, guys for uh sending me ways to improve my channel i appreciate it chris for <laughs> How about top five list? I'm curious about everyone's top fives. I also loved your old intro. It had a great SOV feel to it and a favorite war film. Uh, top fives. I've been thinking about doing that. I maybe do like bonus content. I thought I'm doing. Maybe I'll do my top five from 87, to 88, and then I'll do top five Borgnine nine movies, top five Westerns. Just, I love the top five idea myself, and I've been thinking about a way to do it. Maybe I'll add one at the end of every video. Maybe sometimes. I don't know. Let me get, let me know guys. My favorite war film is probably the Dirty Dozen. But uh, for a more, I guess, modern warfare, I like Saving Private Ryan. But it's got to be The Dirty Dozen. It's so hard to top that for me. John Wilhelm, do you ever find uh, have a favorite late-night horror host such as Elvira or Briggs? Joe bob Briggs? Uh, I liked Elvira growing up. I used to rent all those thriller tapes. Don't remember a damn thing from them. Uh, but uh, I got a funny story. Uh, my grandfather, he was like, you know why? He's renting those, right? My grandfather loved movies. He used to record everything. Uh, said to my he's like, because he wants to see those big tatas.' and he was talking about Elvira, but you know, that's always funny. It's a fond memory of my grandfather. Uh, Carl Espinosa, will you consider collecting whore buster statues or figures? Not really. You know, I don't want to get into anything else. I already have so much stuff and collect so much stuff, like movies and whatnot. I don't need to be collecting the figures and bust. Richard, I'd love to know how many films are in your collection. So would I. One day I'll count, and I'll let you guys know. Nick, my question, you said you like whore musicals. Would you ever write, direct, or star in one? Uh... Perhaps all of the above. I could never. Maybe I could write a song or two. Uh, I couldn't direct it. That's a lot of a lot of money. A lot of uh, you know, getting all the things, the dance moves, choreographing stuff together. That's it's really difficult. Maybe twenty years, thirty years from now, if I'm still alive and I still want to make movies, um, would I star in one? If I could, if I didn't have to sing or minimal dancing, I would. I'm just not particularly good at that stuff. At uh, singing or dancing. I mean, I, I could probably learn dancing, but singing, I'm just not. You got it or you don't, and I don't. Chris Leopard, I was also wondering if you're a fan of old school martial arts films. Uh yeah, but I, I like as far as like the, the Japanese and Chinese ones, I'm not too familiar with them. I mean I've seen some here and there, like uh the Shaw Brothers, Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. Love that one. But I'm more grown up I grew up watching like the Van Damme movies and the best of the best one and two and that kind of stuff. And I love that kind of stuff, especially Best of the Best Two, you know, that kind of karate stuff, the Americanized uh Taekwondo and karate, just uh Kumites, Bloodsport, not all that kind of nonsense I love growing up, so I'm a fan of that kind of stuff. Uh, Matthew Lee Bushwell have you seen The Killing of Sacred Deer or any of the other works of Yorgos uh, not going to say that last name no I have not should I I hear good things uh, Dave Grant link, as, is it Dave Grant I actually put link on the end sorry buddy and as for a question has a movie ever broken you have you ever watched a movie so damn horrible that you just couldn't make it to the end yeah I've done it a couple times, and I go back. There's this old quote I always hear that Joe Dante and John Landis said they used to go to see every movie, and then at one point it was horrible stuff. They looked at each other and said, man, life is too short. They got up at the theater and left. And every time I turn one off, I I, I almost get mad because I'm like, man, I, I'm watching this, I'm trying to watch it, and I, I don't want to you know be disrespectful by not finishing it, but sometimes they're just bad or it's not for you. I've turned off once that the sound was so bad I couldn't hear, uh, and it just... I just could not take it. I had to turn it off. I just couldn't do it. Corey Ends. As for questions, do you have any recommendations for self storage? Shelf storage. Uh, build your own. If you can, you can afford it. You have room. You have the time. Build your own. Have somebody help you build it. Uh, you've made movies, you watched movies, cast, script, or director, what is most important? I all of them are important, but a good actor and actress can save a whole a bad movie or come across great in it. Can a director save a bad cast and a bad script? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, And a script is the most underrated. You see so many movies get made. They look great. They look beautiful. We have a red camera. We have $20 million worth of technology. And if you start with a turd, you're going to end with a turd. I always wanted to draw one of those little like comical satire cartoons, but I can't draw worth the shit, of all these big lights and these big cameras and a big film crew staring around there looking like a big director, whole film crew, and there's just a turd sitting on the ground and they're all focused on that turd. Because that's what it, sometimes it feels like. You know, you have all this stuff you put into, you try your best, but you start with a turd. You're going to end with a turd, you know? As uh, what is it, Robert Prosky says in Christine, you can't polish a turd. Hop right into this. The first one I will be reviewing is Death Dream, a.k.a. Dead of Night, a.k.a. The Night Andy Came Home from Blue Underground. Uh, Yeah. This one is a Bob Clark movie. Uh, You guys will know Bob Clark from a family-friendly movie, Christmas Story, uh, sex comedy, Porky's, and uh, what I know him best for, his horror movies, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, Black Christmas, and of course, Death Dream. Uh, Death Dream is actually my favorite of his films. I think it's a masterpiece. Uh, Death Dream follows the story of this kind of uh, middle America family who has a son over in Vietnam. They get a telegram that says Andy's not coming home. Uh, something happened. They don't ever say it out loud. It's just the acting, and and, and they they just have a breakdown uh, to their confusion and happiness. Andy comes home that night, but Andy's not quite right. Uh this this movie's great uh it, it's a huge allegory for you know the people going over to Vietnam and coming back all messed up they go over as these innocent sweet beloved uh, children and they come back literal monsters and then this one he actually is some sort of monster and he needs blood to survive and he needs to inject it so it turns into like this big drug metaphor at the same time it's superbly well acted. If it wasn't a horror movie, it probably would have won a bunch of awards if I say that back in the 70s. Uh, Bob Clark does a tremendous job and he was way ahead of his time. He he understands... It, it, the movie is not... It doesn't hit you over the head. Like I said this before, it's not like... a. Um, It's like George Romero in the sense that it's all there, but it doesn't necessarily hit you over the head with it. Uh, It's an amazing movie. The the disc comes with two commentaries, one by Bob Clark, who is past, and one with uh, Alan, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. He's the writer of the movie. He worked on a bunch of stuff, including popcorn, which he was fired off of, and he worked with Bob Clark for years. He's in Children's Shouldn't Play with Dead Things. But... uh, the night Andy came home which just my favorite title for it because it fits it. It's, it's such a, a creepy movie. The horror movie elements are great—the uh, stalking and the way that Andy acts and the way he is completely dead inside. But what's even better is the—you know—the—the uh, the message in there and the—the the, the statement on Vietnam, the statement about uh, drug abuse. And there's a huge great. There's a great scene of like a generation gap between the soldiers. Uh, There's this uh, uh, mailman. He's from World War II, and he starts to talk to Andy. And he's he's talking about like reminiscing in in a good way uh, about how great you know his buddy got shot in the butt by a crowd. Isn't that hilarious? Yada yada yada. And Andy's just sitting there, dead on the inside and dead on the outside. The performances from the parents are great. And uh, this movie falls apart when Andy comes home and there's something wrong with him. All these like underlining surfaces that the families have problems with just explode to the top. There's a drive-in scene which is perfect for the movie it's just an underrated movie i, I know people like it that have seen it and i've never heard any complaints about it it's just not enough people talk about it not not to be a jerk or anything but people always talk about the same five or six movies like halloween jaws i mean they're great yeah but so is death dream i mean death dreams is underrated as hell uh it came like i said it comes with a new interview with uh the writer and his uh i, I think it was his wife at the time she's an actress in the movie um Bob Clark commentary, unfortunately he's passed with David Gregory, I believe is, uh, you know, narrating the whole thing or uh, not narrating, but you know what I mean? So there's that in there. I actually wrote a review over at the screaming toilet page. If you want to check it out. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this one. I didn't talk about much like the technical aspects with it. The movie looks solid, especially for a low budget movie, you know, in, in a lot of these low budget movies, the darks look dark, no matter what they're, they, they probably look a little too dark than they should. Uh, when the, the, the gore happens in it, it looks pretty good. It's Savini's first movie, so there's that, too. First movie he worked on. He's not the main special effects guy, but he did work on the movie. And it, it shows, you know, he was a you know Vietnam uh, combat photographer. So it, there's, this probably hit a little ho- close to home t- uh, for uh, Savini on this set. I'm, I don't want to assume things, but I mean, the plot and everything like that. This ending of this movie is one of the most memorable, uh, creepy, strange, original endings ever made. Uh, it's just... The movie tears me apart every time I watch it. Uh, super depressing, but super well made. And just, if it wasn't a horror movie, it would be talked about for ages. And I think it's great. Uh, Blue Underground did a great job. It's a DVD and a Blu ray combo. Like I said, uh, inter- some interviews on here and uh, two commentary tracks. Uh, love the hell out of the movie. Love the release. And I-
4: well on this but
2: do you know that they sent us a telegram tonight? I mean they actually sent us a telegram telling us
0: that you were killed.
2: They actually said that my son was dead. I was.
3: I think the human story of uh, Andy kind of overwhelms that we were trying to be subtle with a political comment
0: and i think we were what it's really about of course is the the dynamic in the family yeah and representing kind of what what that to me was that kind of conservative dynamic in the country
2: been through a lot ben
1: A small town that changed the lives of many and ended the lives of some.
4: Are you two all right, Becca?
0: next one i'll be reviewing is by troma the thingy Confessions confessions of a teenage placenta with a title like that you know it's going to get freaking weird and it does get weird this is a belgian movie from belgium i know a lot of people ask me do you like belgian movies well yeah i like this one and i just watched it so there we go uh how to explain this one? Uh, somebody re- the reviews that Like Basket Case, it's ex- it does feel like a Frank Heenan-Lider, like bastardized, like Basket Case sequel, but it's also like dark coming-of-the-age movie. It's a lot of sight gags in here. Let me get into the plot. We have this bodybuilding uh woman who only seems to inject and work out one of her arms. It's this weird prosthetic and she gives birth to a baby and a uh, placenta. They decide, well, you know, the baby and the placenta, the whole deal. She gives birth. And they decide uh in this world you can keep the placenta and raise the placenta and get rid of the baby. That's what happens here. And Everybody wants to eat this poor placenta, but basically it's a normal kid just in a placenta body. It's very uh, strange. It, it rides and crawls on the ground. When it moves, when it goes to school, when it gets older, it drives around in a little motorized car. A lot of that stuff is, it, you don't know whether to laugh or the cry or just a mixture of both. It's, it's very dark, but very zany and weird but also kind of depressing all at the same time weird weird movie the mother keeps uh pounding into the uh luke that's the placenta's name into his head that he needs to be a strong military and he doesn't have this father figure so the only people he has around to talk to are these homeless guys and this weird priest everybody wants to eat him for his nutrients so it's just a super bizarre uh crazy movie with a really dark and twisted ending i enjoyed it Uh, It's uncomfortable, it's gross at times, and uh, I felt really sad for the damn placenta, and uh, I think a lot of people will feel the same. Uh, It is comedic and dark and gross and weird and pretty cool at the same time. Uh, On here is just uh, 10 minutes of deleted scenes. Uh, the, the placenta's a little puppet too, so that, I know that will, it's not CGI, so that will, you know, help some people get it, it's practical. Uh, and there's some other behind the scenes showing how they made the puppet here and there, and, uh, some trauma stuff, you know, like Return of Nukem High trailer, stuff like that. Uh, I enjoy the movie, if, if you watch the trailer and you say, you know, I think I'll like that, I think you will. If you like, it's not necessarily Heenan-Lotter, but it has shades of that, but it has shades of, like, artistic, dark, stuff, but zany, gross comedy, too. It's The Thingy, uh, Confessions of a Teenage Placenta, aka, originally known as uh, The Miracle of... here is by Arrow. This is Animal Factory with uh Willem Dafoe and Edward Furlong. Uh yeah, this uh, it's kind of cool to see him release that one. I hadn't seen it in years, probably since it came out, so what, 2001 or so, so 15 years. This is actually directed by uh, Steve Buscemi, which is really cool. And it's based off a book by Edward Bunker, who is, you know, a famous criminal actor. He's Mr. Blue in Reservoir Dogs. He's in a slew of other stuff. He's in The Long Riders. He's in Best of the Best 2. He just pops up in tons of movies. Um, This uh, basically was written uh, by Edward Bunker, a book based on kind of semi-autobiographical stuff. And uh, this is produced by Danny Trejo and Eddie Bunker. So they're both people that serve time. They're both people that know the prison system. Uh, so yeah, this movie probably is fairly realistic. It feels realistic. It it, it follows the story of Edward Furlong. Uh, this is young Eddie Furlong from Terminator 2 and Brain Scan, who gets sent to this, uh, this big, this prison. His father, John Heard, tries to stop it, but he can't. Uh, he gets sent to this prison for selling drugs, and he kind of is befriended by Willem Defoe and his gang, including Danny Trejo, Chris Baer, a bunch of other people in here. There's some, some other familiar faces. Buscemi's in it, of course. Eddie Bunker's in it, of course. And a really terrifying, really great performance by, um... Tom Arnold surprisingly it's always so nice to see these actors who are always you know condensed to these comedic roles or and there's like oh you're just a funny guy or you're just in stupid crap but Tom Arnold in this movie is horrifying and he does a great job he just plays this redneck piece of trash Great great performance and uh a really great moment. But uh, what's what's great about this is there's a good emotional level in here, especially between Willem Dafoe and uh, Eddie Furlong. They uh had this relationship and eventually they, they plan uh yeah, I don't want to spoil anything. I'm not even gonna spoil it that much, but at the end it, it's really kind of like, ah, oh, damn. But there's a great uh great uh, dramatic moment in here with John Hurd and Edward Furlong, where John Hurd kind of uh he wants to give these two pictures to him of his uh of him and his mother. And he's like, guard, can I give these to my kid? They're behind this door. And he's like, I'm sorry, I can't. Can you give them to my kid? And she says, I can't do that. And the tears in his eyes and that whole moment just made me want to fall down and cry. It was a, it was a great scene. Uh, there's a lot of great performances. Like I said, it, it, it's fairly realistic. It's never boring, but a lot of it's just, you know, how the prison works and, and stuff like that. Uh, Interesting ass movie. There's, I, I'm a fan of prison movies like Scum and what are some other one? Bad Boys. But I, this is probably better. I enjoy this one a lot better than those two. Uh, There's a commentary on here with Eddie Bunker and Danny Trejo. Uh, That's fun because Eddie Bunker's since passed and uh, Danny Trejo is just uh, enjoying. He's enjoying watching. He's like, man, I love that scene. I love that actor. I love that stuff. That's really cool in here. Uh, Good movie. And there's also a, a little thing about uh, Eddie Bunker on here as well, but uh, really good uh, prison movie that got underseen. It didn't really get the attention it deserves. I think a lot of people with this one coming out will be happy to see it. Uh, good movie. I enjoy the hell out of it. Great performances and probably, you know, it's, it's just a shame that Edward Furlong is not like it wasn't the huge, he was for a short time, but it kind of, his stardom faded out and it should not have because he's really damn good.
1: The main issue here is the protection of society. I feel
2: really like this paranoid. I haven't been here long, have you? There are a lot of animals in here who might try to pressure you. If they do, you need to come and speak with us. I'm not gonna let that happen to me. Got to stand together. Gotta... Little I've seen tells me you're neither stupid nor weak. This guy, he's been talking bad about this. you. Gotta get yourself a weapon. This guy's prehistoric. Don't do anything without me.
4: I'm
3: gonna get you out of here. Get you out of here.
0: Next one here is Satan's Cheerleaders from VCI. This is a Graden Clark movie. The only Graden Clark movie I have seen was Without Warning, which I kind of enjoy. Uh, Satan's Cheerleaders, yeah. This one was made in the mid 70s. Uh, I'm, I'm going to sum this up fairly quick. Take four pages of script, take Race with the Devil. Take Jack Hill's Swinging Cheerleaders and have them kind of stumble into each other and add a bunch of old classic actors, and that's what you get with Satan's Cheerleaders. And I'm not saying it's as good as uh, *Swinging cheerle- uh, Satan's uh, Cheerleaders. It's not as good as Swinging Cheerleaders. It's certainly not as good as Race with the Devil. Yeah, uh, basically you have these cheerleaders who get lost on the way to a big football game, and they end up in this town with a bunch of Satanists. Uh, there's a bunch of uh, classic actors, John Ireland in here. John Carradine pops up, of course, and you know he's fairly good. I must admit, I wasn't a huge fan of the acting in this one. Everybody's hokey. It's supposed to be hokey. It is a comedy horror movie, it, and it's that kind of hokey silliness. Um, there's, the problem is it's very uneventful. Nothing seems to happen. They have the one scene of nudity in the beginning, and you can tell they're like, "We added that in to make everybody happy." But besides that, it's not nearly as sleazy, not as graphic as someone would, you know, uh, imagine. It's just kind of hokey and funny and silly. I'm I, not necessarily a huge fan of it. There's a there's a point where these two dogs are uh, somebody in the the. the one of the Satanists is like, go get them, dogs, in a room. And then John Ireland, every time the guys go back, says, get back there. And it does it like four or five times for literally 25 minutes of this hour and a half movie is taken up by these dogs running back and forth. Uh, like I said, there's some funny moments in here. There is some nudity. There's some. I, I do like the uh, coach of the girl. She's really uh, a fun character. Uh, It's just not enough uh, craziness in the movie to warrant it it, as like a, a cult classic like it should be with that title. It, it it had the title, and it had uh, the minimum to make people happy, and I think that's what it's, it's it's known for. Graydon Clark is one of these guys that can make a movie for like $10. He's great at it, and he's a very interesting guy. I enjoy listening to him talk. I've heard him on a podcast. I've uh, listened to the commentary here. It's a great commentary where he talks about how he makes movies, how he yeah, working with the actors and actresses. He's a, he's a very competent director. It's just the budget really hurts here in script. The script's pretty weak. Dean Cundey actually is the DP on this movie, which blows my mind. He did a bunch of his movies. This is the last one he did with them. There's also a commentary with David Dakota and uh, David Duvall, and that one's fun. That one cracks me up. They talk about a lot of satanic movies, um, and uh, they they kind of poke a little bit of fun at the movie, but they they seem to enjoy the movie itself. It is hokey. If you can get past the hokey, and you kind of like this stuff, there's some there's some moments that will just make you do this. Like they stop, and the sheriff's name on the sign is B L Bub. Beezil and it's just like Come on guys I, I, Thinking about it I have more fond Memories thinking about it than I did when I was Watching it it's just a little bit Too stale for me there's two prints on here There's the two commentaries and that, that's about it I know a lot of people enjoy this one It's just not something for me
1: okay, 1, 2, three.
2: girls wouldn't rather play tackle.
0: First we touch, then tackle. Right, girls? Just make sure you don't get hurt while I'm not you Hi! dirty.
2: Now, girls, it's not nice to talk
1: badly about people.
0: I make my boys keep a spotless locker room. I think
2: you'd be
4: impressed.
2: It's all right, there's nobody in here. Like look at the You've got to understand, uh, the the sign George, on the door... It right? plays, Coach, is this is what you call it, The boys are uh, but girls are right. on <laughs> I, I mean, look, I, that's...
1: Uh, oh...
2: It's all right. Boys, boys? will
1: be boys. I'm just wrong. Say cheese. I mean, what the hell? when do I get my hands on that boy?
2: That's my job, Coach. Don't worry, I'll straighten him out. <laughs> Take me, I am in your power. May I Satan?
4: Satan,
2: answer me. Kill. Satan, hear me. Destroy them.
3: Destroy
2: them all! Kill! Kill! What? Well, what's going on? Come on, get down, girls. You too, Patty. Please, get down, Patty.
0: Next one here is the gaslies. Yeah, I was excited to see this one. Everybody knows I love little creature movies. Well, pretty much all the things that I made myself have been little creature movies. So The Ghastlies, I was excited to check it out. It's a low-budget movie from Canada. The guy, uh, I think it's Brett Kelly, he did like 20 movies before. While I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is probably like his first movie while I was watching the movie. But I was surprised to see that he had done a bunch of other stuff. Some of the stuff I had heard about, like Homicycle. this is the first time I've watched any of his movies. We have the story here of these little aliens that crash land on Earth during this satanic uh, ritual, and of course they run away in the woods. And then we fast forward to uh, five years later, literally 25 to 30 minutes of stuff happens, and the movies now hour 15 minutes, and then the creatures start kind of popping up and killing people. So about this one, uh, I enjoy the creatures. They're made out of foam. Uh, like uh, the foam furniture stuff, which is the same thing that some of the creatures were in Slimy Little Bastards that I made. So I love the creatures. I have no problem with the low-budget creatures. I have no problem with the practical effects in here. I have no problems with the plot. I love all that kind of stuff. Even the music I have no problem with. It, to me, I don't want to sound like a jer- It's such a weird line for me to talk about a low-budget movie that you know is very similar to a low-budget movie that I made myself. I I didn't particularly like this one, it, and it's mostly breaks down to like the dialogue. There's way too much dialogue. It doesn't seem natural. All the characters, and it's purposely kind of done in a hokey style, and that's not something I like. Uh, and th- in the commentary they mentioned, you know, kind of going like, a, uh, they say Sharknado. Uh, people love Sharknado, but when I do it, they hate it. Well, I don't like Sharknado, so <laughs> when anybody does it, I don't like it. So it's that kind of like. Uh, Self-aware, but also, I don't mind the self-aware, but also kind of laughing at the subject matter. Even if they love it, they're making fun of it a little too much for me to enjoy it. I don't uh, mind the creatures. Like I said, I like how they look. I'm not thrilled on their laughing because it's all the same laugh on each voice. I'm not thrilled on the acting. Some of the acting is fine. I think some of the leads, like the lead uh, girls in the cabin, are great. Basically, girls go in a cabin and the little creatures attack them in the woods. I I think that stuff's really fun. Uh, I, th- I mean, I think their acting fairly fun. Some of, And then a lot of the side characters are atrocious. There's a scene where somebody's talking to themselves, and it's going to be really hard for somebody to come across halfway decent when they're talking to themselves in the woods, and the dialogue's just there and there. It's just really, really painful dialogue. I know that's probably the point, so I'm just basically saying, I- I'm not necessarily saying, this sucks for these reasons, I'm just saying, I, I don't like it for these reasons. Other people may. Uh, there's a couple moments that made me laugh. And I appreciate the little creature movie. Any little creature movie getting made. Because there's not enough of them. love the cover art. Uh, it's just something that really fell flat for me. It's just I was bored to tears during the whole thing. The dialogue's really painful. The characters are really painful. They don't talk like humans. They don't do anything interesting. Almost everything's an information dump about their backstory, and it's just, who cares? Like, that's how I felt while watching it. Uh, on here is, uh, you know, there's a couple of music videos, and there's a commentary, and uh, there's a cute little cartoon at the end if you want to stick around. Uh, they definitely, you know, uh, worked on a budget, and I can appreciate them doing that. It's just, at the end of the day, it's just... I felt a little bit of insincerity. And I know that not a lot of people like that kind of stuff. But I felt like it was just... Especially during a scene where they homage the gremlins. And it's it's a very, very obvious homage. I don't like the obvious, obvious, obvious stuff. And it's like a dialogue verbatim. And it's just... It's not funny to me. I don't know. It's just... It's one of those things that makes me kind of like... And Satan's cheerleaders just do. Even though B.L. bub Sheriff B.L. bub made me laugh. This... I just... Not for me. Uh, I'm sorry. I wish I loved it. I hate... I do not enjoy disliking movies. It's the truth. But I got to be honest with myself and you guys. (laughs) (laughs) The next one here is The Heathers. I had seen this one before. And it had been about 15 years, so I figured, why not? Uh, The Heathers is a huge cult classic, a dark comedy. I probably shouldn't even be talking about it. Everybody's seen it. Winona Ryder, uh, Christian Slater. On the cover here, it cracks me up because they say, without Heathers, there would be no Jawbreaker, no Mean Girls, and certainly no Juno. You should put, without... Massacre at Central High, there would be no Heathers, and then the rest of those titles because I, I, uh, the Heathers is a lot like Massacre at Central High to me, which it's been a while since I've seen that one, too. Uh, we have uh Winota Ryder, who's this, uh, kind of a uh, very popular girl. She's with the Heathers, they're really the lead Heather is a bitchy, heartless monster, but it is, uh, I believe, high school, so there's that. Uh, Christian Slater's a new guy, kind of a mysterious moves in the town and he basically starts manipulating all these, uh, Winona Ryder and, uh, convincing her to kill people and with him and make it look like a suicide. This, uh, paints for some really amazing dialogue, some really hilarious, uh, move scenes in the movie. And, uh, one thing I noticed while watching this, I noticed two people and I said, man, those guys look super familiar and they're just bit actors. One of the guys in the parking lot is actually the guy uh, in Fright Night 2 who helps Peter Vincent escape, which I, I spotted. And I said, man, one of those football players looks like the, the dickhead boyfriend of Night of Demons. And he was. Uh, I couldn't believe that. And uh, I looked up another one, and he was uh, in uh, Ghoulies 3, the other football guy. So it was really nice seeing those kind of bit roles that I wouldn't know their names, but they're there. Glenn Shadix is in it. And uh, that, that's always great to see him. He plays a preacher. Uh, yeah, well, I, I don't know really what much to say about this movie, except that I, I really enjoy it. And the dialogue is priceless in here. Um, like I, I, high school students don't talk like that, but it's, it's so endlessly quotable. And, you know, as the person I was watching, I was like, high schoolers don't talk like this, but it's satirical. It's a, it's a satire of high school, making fun of the whole system, making fun of how, you know, DPO high schoolers think they are and stuff like that. In, in a lot of ways, it's really brilliant. Uh, it's really hilarious. And uh, there's some so moments that you just are so funny, but they're so you feel really bad for laughing. I don't want to spoil anything, but I kind of want to spoil something. All I'm going to say for people that've seen the movie is, I love my dead gay son. That part always makes me horribly uncomfortable and laugh at the same time. Uh, it's just uh, there's like like that kind of stuff. Just getting like these bullies and these jerks, kind of what they deserve, but going way past the line where it's just horrific at the same time and also it's about hypocrisy you know all these things they become hypocrites while doing it but uh just a very uh, dark high school movie about suicide and uh basically how these stupid fads even suicide will catch on but it's a great movie i'm sure most people have seen it but if you haven't i'd really check it out and check out massacre at center three
2: blind mice three blind mice heather chandler heather mcnamara heather duke Veronica Sawyer.
0: Why are you such a mega brat? Because I can be.
2: The most powerful clique at Westerberg.
1: God, Veronica. Droll much?
2: Most people would die to get into it.
3: Heather number one just looked right at
2: me. I'm worshipped Westerberg, and I'm only a junior. Veronica would kill to get out of it. You were nothing before you met me. You were a Girl Scout cookie. JD has come to answer her prayers. I'm a no-rest, build-up man myself. We'll kill her. He's got a way with women. <gasps> a way with words.
0: This is this as good for you as it is for me? Life can suck!
2: And a very special way with a gun. Veronica can't live with him.
1: Help! I love my dead gay son.
2: And she can't live without him.
1: Does this turn out weak or what? I had at least 70 more people at my funeral. What?
2: Their meeting was destiny. Uh,
1: that knife is filthy! What do you think I'm gonna do with it? Take out her tonsils?
2: Their love has a body count. I loved you. I was coming up here to kill you.
1: That's me. We're breaking up. Young love.
2: Heathers, a killer comedy.
1: I'm going to have to send my SAT scores to San Quentin instead
0: of Stanford. The next one here, uh, this still has some shrink wrap on it. This is uh, German import of the Great Northfield-Minnesota Raid. This is by Philip Kaufman, who directed um, The Wanderers and the 1978 Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I had not seen this movie. It's basically the story of uh, the... Jesse and Frank James and the Younger Brothers, and uh, The Great Northfield, Minnesota Raid. This is a bizarre movie. It it plays as part weird comedy, part serious drama, and it has a a weird uh, cast. Cliff Robertson plays uh, Cole Younger. I really enjoy him in it. Matt Clark plays his brother. He plays Bob Younger. Matt Clark is in stuff like The Outlaw, Josie Wales, and Pat Garrett, and Billy the Kid. Um, R.G. Armstrong plays Clive Miller in it. Clive Miller, and he's great in it. He's probably my favorite part in the whole damn movie. And Robert Duvall plays jesse james how weird is that this is a, like i said this is super weird there's only really a couple moments of uh of really good action there's a lot of uh interactions between them and uh, a strange relationship between the gang they're all in the gang there's three younger brothers two jesse james the james brothers and uh, uh chadwell and of course uh Cleve miller played by rj armstrong and uh this whole movie kind of leads up to them uh robbing this uh Bank in Minnesota. These guys, uh, if you guys don't know the story of uh, James, uh, the James and Younger gang, they were famous uh, outlaws from uh, Missouri, and uh, they kind of uh, continued after the Civil War. There was a lot of border wars going on. There was a lot of uh, you know unrest and. Uh, a lot of pe a lot of hate towards uh, the north and the south. They were still going at it, still a lot of animosity towards each other. And uh these, these uh the James brothers and the younger brothers really hated the Pinkerton Railroad, really hated, you know, a lot of northerners in the movies and stuff, at least according to these movies. So that's kind of the picture here. It's a very strange time in our history, a very bizarre time in general. But uh, I gotta talk about Robert Duvall's performance in here. He plays so dis- he plays Jesse James so dislikable and, and, and completely insane i I don't know if he's part homosexual in this movie or part he's super religious but there's points where they kind of hint making fun of him for not going with women he is super jesse james was supposedly very religious and uh i believe he was married in real life so it's strange that he's not married in this one and they kind of make this weird relationship with him and chadwell at points maybe i'm only seeing that i don't know but there's a couple moments here but J- Jesse and Frank James in this movie are despicable. Cliff Robertson is, is is likable. Even for a criminal, he comes across very likable in this movie. I enjoyed seeing Matt Clark. I always like seeing Matt Clark, like I said. The performances are, are really good, except uh, the Robert Duvall one is good, but very bothersome, very weird, very, very despicable character, and I think it's supposed to be that way. There is a whole uh, giant scene with a baseball scene where it's slapstick where they witness baseball for the first time, and, and well, uh, Cole Younger does. And uh, that seems uh, kind of uh, goofy and a little out of place, but it's all right. It's It's very slapstick, you know, all these players falling over and whatnot. And then there's moments of strange uh, strange brutality where like this, uh, this uh, lynch mob's chasing the gang and they stop at this whorehouse and they say, everybody out, and they're none of the gang, but they hang them anyways. It's just, it goes really dark and, and it's totally, it's it's all over the place. It's just really bizarre. There's a really iconic picture here that's based on a real picture in history with uh, a couple of the ga- gang who are killed and they're kind of propped out in front of the coffins. They recreate that. That, that, that scene's really amazing. Uh, like I said, R.G. Armstrong steals the show for me in this one because he has these couple moments where they go to the whorehouse and he's married and, uh, He's like, man, I shouldn't have done that. I feel real bad about that. And he's like, why'd you do it? He's like, oh, man, I enjoyed it. He's like, I was thinking about it the whole time too. And I didn't even enjoy that when I was doing it because of that. It's just, he's a really good character. He's, he's a really good actor. Everybody's seen R.G. Armstrong from horror movies like Beast Within, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, not Children, Children of the Corn, uh, Predator, Stay Hungry, some other stuff. Uh, some um, Peckinpah stuff like Major Dundee. But he's hes tremendous in this movie. The movie's really uneven. I, I enjoyed it and, uh, I think it's it's a bizarre mixture of uh you know genres in a strange time uh, for film uh, for westerns and by a, a director I necessarily wouldn't think of doing a western. But there, there's a couple moments of action. They're solid, but they're nothing compared to the next movie.
4: They came riding out of the West like outlaws, and they were the greatest. This is the story of how Cole Younger and Jesse James joined forces for the Great Northfield, Minnesota Raid. Biggest bank, west Mississippi. Northfield, Minnesota. Starring Cliff Robertson as Cole Younger. Co-starring Robert Duvall as Jesse James. What were they really like? Cole couldn't resist gadgets and mechanical marvels. He even wore a bullet-retarding vest. Jesse had visions North. and A deep hatreds. A place called. Northfield. Amen. For ten long years, Pinkerton and his railroad detectives and all the forces of law and order hunted them like animals. <laughs> They had come to Northfield, Minnesota A town as strange to them As they were to it The great Northfield, Minnesota Raid.
0: The next one is Walter Hill's The Long Riders if I'm gonna watch Frank and Jesse James in the great Minnesota, Northfield Minnesota raid, I'm gonna watch Jesse and Frank James and the younger brothers in Walter Hill's movie, uh, The Long Riders. This was released by Kino. I haven't seen this in years as well. But uh this one is the same story. Let me get it the same stories last. Uh And it follows uh, the younger brothers, actually played by brothers. uh, The James brothers, played by brothers. uh, The Ford brothers, played by brothers. And the Miller brothers, played by brothers. You got Dennis and Randy Quaid. You got uh, the Carradine brothers, Robert, Keith, and uh, I can't believe David Carradine. And then you got Stacy, James Keach, Christopher uh, Guest, and Nicholas Guest in here playing all these characters. Uh, It's better. I I kind of wanted to do a comparison with these two. Uh, It improves on a lot of the stuff, as the great uh, Northfield does. It's made a little bit later. Walter Hill's just a much more competent director when it comes to action. And uh, it has those uh, classic uh, slow motion scenes in here that we all love. I think it's better at building dramatic elements between the family and the brothers. And you, you seem to care a little bit more what happens with the characters. Um, so there's that all going for, I can't believe I forgot the mention, I'm going to say it's a cheat, but Royal Dano is also in the great Northfield, Minnesota Raid, and he plays this crazy kind of, I don't know if he's drunk, but he plays a crazy guy and it reminds me of all his other performances, I kind of like seeing that, but, uh, the Long Riders, like I said, it's just, it's a longer movie, well, it feels longer, like I said, it follows the story of Frank and Jesse James, the acting's a little bit better, I think, in this one, especially between, like, guys like Stacy Keach and the Carradine brothers, they do a tremendous job. And when it uh, comes time for the actual Great Northfield Minnesota Raid, the slow motion in here, the shootouts uh, are tremendous because what they do is you actually feel really horrible when people get shot. It's not just done exactly for action, but when people get shot here, it's very depressing. They also paint uh, Jesse as not exactly perfect, but they paint him more realistically, I think, and a little bit less despicable. But there's a great scene where a lot of the guys are injured, which really happened. And uh, he says, we got to go. And there's this turmoil between the gang. Really great scene, especially um, uh, Randy Quaid's face in that scene is tremendous without giving too much away. Uh, watching these both back to back was strange. Cause it's like, I want to take some from the other one and mix them kind of both. Uh, on the, on the release, like if you're a fan of this movie, the release is great. There's a commentary, but there's a second disc with a bunch of features in here. You get the uh, Stacey and James Keach um, interviewed on here, which is great to see them. Cause they talked about, they basically put this whole movie together. They, it was their idea with using the brothers with brothers and uh, approaching directors and getting this thing made. And they did a hell of a job and they, they, they went a long way to do it. And, uh, they did a hell of a job with it. And by adding the brothers, you get a real relationship there, especially, uh, you know, the Carradines do a great job. I, I, can't, I was, this is one of those movies where I, like, you know, I see David Carradine pop up in, like, Kung Fu or and stuff like that, but in this one, he's so good. Uh, besides the main cast in here as well, you get guys like James Remar, Chris Mulkey, Harry Carey Jr., all sorts of stuff like that, uh, you know, uh, what's that guy, Peter Jason, they all pop up. But, uh, yeah, on, on the features as well, there's interviews with a bunch of the brothers. Randy Quaid's on here getting interviewed. That was interesting to see because, you know, Randy Quaid kind of was in the spotlight for some some weird stuff. I didn't really read it. That Everybody's like, he's going off the uh, the handle, but he seemed fine here. I mean, he, he he thought fondly of the movie and talked about, you know, how this is influenced kind of by Peck and stuff, and he loved Peckinpah growing up, and he wanted to do a Western. And all these guys talk about how much they love Westerns growing up and how much they wanted to do it. There's also like an hour of making up with Walter Hill and Robert Carradine in there talking. There's Carradine's interview with keith and robert talking and it was really sad then when they start talking about david who had passed in 2009 but it, it's a loaded disc i couldn't believe all the stuff on here and there's a, a little featurette on here of uh, walter Hill talking about peckinpah in slow motion how peckinpah called him and uh, like he explain how he explains peckinpah is a very standoffish guy they weren't great friends but he was one of his idols and he, he's just kind of like a scary guy from a lot of what people say and he says i liked your movie and walter hill's like okay and he's like, uh, this. The, what he says is just brilliant. He says, they're saying that your slow motion is a lot like the Wild Watch's slow motion, that you ripped it off. And he's like, well, no, that's not it. Because mine was to add uh, dramatic stuff and make it seem almost like the crashing of a dream. And yours was to add realism. He's like, that's right. He's like, yeah. <laughs> and it's just it, it just it was really great. Walter Hill's a very interesting guy. He's one of the better American directors ever, I think. Uh well, especially in like the seventies and eighties, making, you know, still still making westerns, which is great to see. But uh he's an interesting guy, he's a smart guy, he talks uh finely about the movie. Uh the soundtrack in here is a little bit bizarre too. It's by Ry Cooter who did The Border, which I reviewed a couple weeks ago. And it's an interesting soundtrack. Uh he's a magician musician. He's not really a, a guy who makes scores, but it sounds really cool and it feels authentic. And uh, I love that Walter Hill's talking about, this isn't a Western, this is a Midwestern. I don't want these guys to look like cowboys. They're farm boys. They're farm boys. They're fighting, you know, this, This. Uh, I don't want to say proxy war, it's not the term, but, you know, border war, and they're out to get their Pinkertons, robbing banks, you know. So it's not like a typical Western, but it is a Western at the same time. Uh, if you like Walter Hill, if you like Westerns, I really recommend checking this one out. And if you like the James and, uh, Jesse and Frank James, check out both of them, but check out this one first. Mm-hmm.
3: They were nine men. They were four families of brothers. They rode together from Missouri to Minnesota, and from Texas to Tennessee. They were the most famous outlaw heroes of the West. They were known as the Long Riders. This is their story, and it's as close to the truth as legends can ever be. You don't give us no trouble, mister. I want your sons, Mr. Samuel.
1: What do
2: you
4: want them for?
3: For robbing banks and trains, ma'am. What do you think your
4: chances are of bringing them in? That's an amazingly stupid question. Wait for them to come out!
3: People say they got one of the youngers. People say they got the wrong younger. You men did an excellent job of making heroes out of every one of those gentlemen. I think I'll write me a book.
2: Make myself even more famous than I am. You ever been alone? Excuse me, miss. I was wondering if you cared to dance.
1: I'd be delighted.
2: Coming back for you. We're gonna be meeting up real soon.
1: They got a real fat bank up there. Scouted it out myself. Northfield. That's safe, mister, you hear?
4: The Pinkerton told us he might be coming. They're robbing
3: the bank! David, Keith, and Robert Carradine as Cole, Jim, and Bob Younger. James and Stacy Keach as Jesse and Frank James. Dennis and Randy Quaid as Clell and Ed Miller. Christopher and Nicholas Guest as the Ford Brothers. The Long Riders.
0: Let me get into uh, the Q&A here. Richard. Richard. What, if any, is your favorite zombie film outside the Romero classics? Um, and do I have any thoughts on the Halloween movie coming out next year? Yeah, a bunch of people ask me about the Halloween movie. I don't really have many thoughts. If it looks good and I hear good things, I'll go see it. But as for any zombie movies, I have tons of favorite zombies. That's actually my favorite uh, subgenre of horror, which a lot of people, you know, probably be like, well, that's surprising. I've always loved zombie movies since I was 10 years old. It was my favorite. Um, they were oversaturated, but I love Return of the Living Dead. one of my favorites. Zombie's one of my favorites. Let's See Corpse's Lies is one of my favorites. Cemetery Man's one of my favorites. Uh, Shaun of the Dead's over fun so there's tons and tons and tons some low-budget ones dead next door just love zombie movies john Wilhelm, favorite empire studios movie non-full moon uh, we're gonna have to go with ghoulies too on that one i believe that's an empire one non-full moon i think from be honest as well in prison those are all spectacular and maybe even reanimator i think so but i'll go with ghoulies too because i'm dumb Nick, my question. Lately, there's been a lot of debate about Hollywood abuse scandals. Do you think that the films directed, produced by people who have been accused of abuse or who are in jail should still be sold? Are we supporting monsters by purchasing their films? That's a tough question. I mean, but you can't stop selling the movies. I mean, there's hundreds of people involved with movies. eh? and It's almost like, I don't want to say this. I know they're bad. And they're horrible, but it's a, almost like a weird censorship thing. And, and you're also punishing people that were involved with the movies and actors and a whole bunch of people for one person. And, you know, I'm kind of against that on nature. Just punishing everyone for one person's horrible deeds. You know, I've always been kind of against that. I don't like that. That's like punishing someone if, if a kid went and saw a movie and he said that's what caused him to shoot up a school. Now no one ever can watch that movie again. It's just, I know it's not the same thing. It's not necessarily the same thing, and it's horrible there needs to be something done. It seems like every five minutes somebody's a a, a rapist or a pervert now everywhere politicians, religious people, uh, Hollywood everywhere, everywhere you look somebody's a pervert uh, Thomas Townsend uh, what is that sticker or price tag on your shelf edge behind you? I think this is just something I probably pulled off like a case. It just I was pulling off stickers and I put it there now it's going to sit there for 10 years. Matthew Bushwell, my question is, do you have a favorite Criterion release? I think I mentioned that before. Not really. I mean, there's so much good stuff. It's really hard to choose.